This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Welcome to Kidnappers Kids. This is your host, Dexter. How are you today? It's wonderful here today. It looks a bit sunny outside. I think I'll go outside after I've done this. It's wonderful. First up, a story. Yes, a story. And all good stories start off like this. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, the snow goose. They tell of the snow goose, all that know of her. But what they tell is only a little of the story. I know the truth because I saw that mighty bird, saw calm and unafraid, straight toward the leaden death and blanketing smoke of Dunkirk. But that was before the sea had claimed its own, and the great white bird that saw it all from the beginning to the end had returned to the silences of the Northland whence it came. It is not a story that falls easily and smoothly into sequence. And some of it comes in the form of fragments from men who looked upon strange and violent scenes. There you are, lads. Here's your drinks. It was a goose, a blooming goose, so help me. God, I don't believe it. A goose it was. Jockey, I see it same as me. Men of all kinds and from every station. run across that queer sort of legend about a wild goose. It was all up and down the beaches. You know how those things spring up? A wild goose? No, but I saw a tame one. A strange experience. Under the circumstances, a dash queer thing to see. Odd that you should mention a goose. I suppose some people might say it was a legend. Legend? No, gentlemen, it wasn't a legend. It wasn't really just a goose, either. Have you ever seen a snow goose? Have you ever looked up into the deepest blue of the heavens with your eyes straining to penetrate distance itself? Have you ever seen suddenly a black speck coming toward you? A speck that in the space of seconds is transformed into a black and white pinioned dream? A rush of white wings, black-tipped, a thrust-forward head... A strong, graceful body like a great white sail in full flight. I have seen that, gentlemen. I have known a snow goose well. My name is Philip Ryder. I am not accustomed to speaking my mind, as I'm afraid that I have lived away from the world too long to be articulate. But I cannot have it said that the snow goose is a legend. So if you will bear with me, here is the story. By my own choice, I left the world of human society in the late spring of 1930. There were reasons for this choice of mine. Among them, the strange misshapen body which God had given me. For I must have been a frightening apparition indeed. I bought an old abandoned lighthouse at the mouth of the Elder and the acres of marshland and salting which surrounded it. I wanted only to be left to my painting and to have as little contact with the world as possible. I was drawn to my lighthouse not only because of its isolation but because of the hundreds of species of birds which migrated there every spring. One November afternoon, three years after I had come to the Great Marsh, I stood in my enclosure, feeding the birds.
I looked along the seawall and saw a child, a little girl. She was no more than 12, slender and nervous, timid as a bird, beautiful as a marsh fairy. She was pure Saxon, fair, deep-set, violet-colored eyes, and desperately afraid. What is it, child? Come, child, don't be frightened. I won't hurt you. Come closer. What have you there? I found it, sir. It's a bird. It's hurted. Is it still alive? Yes, yes, I think so. Come in, child, come in. Let's see what's the matter with it. Just hold it here for me on this table. Please don't be frightened. I found it in the marsh, sir, where fowlers have been. What... Whatever kind of bird is it, sir? It's a snow goose from Canada. But how in heaven came it here? You can heal it, sir, can't you? Yes, I hope so. Anyway, we will try. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. But I have never seen a bird like her before. No, nor have I in any parts of the country close to here. Now she came to us from a very great distance. Wherever did she come from, sir? Well, I'll tell you all I know of her. She was born in a northern land... Far across the seas. Oh. Every winter she flew to the south to escape the snow and ice and bitter cold. This year, a great storm must have seized her and whirled and buffeted her about. You can see how strong her wings are. Yes. But the storm was stronger. For days and nights it held her in its grip, and there was nothing she could do but fly before it. Mm. When finally it had blown itself out, she dropped to rest in a friendly green marsh, only to be met by the blast from the hunter's gun. Oh. Yes, a bitter reception for a visiting princess. But it's not as bad as it might have been. In a few days, she'll be feeling much better. You and I will call her the princess, the last princess. Do you like that? Oh, yes. Now watch. See, see if she won't eat something. Here is some grain. Put it in the palm of your hand and hold it out to her. Hmm. Oh, oh, look, she's eating it. Her eyes are open. Oh, she's going to be all right. She feels much better. Oh, I... I'm going. I'm going. Goodbye. Wait, wait. Yes, sir? What is your name, child? Ruth. Where do you live? With the fisher folk at Wickledress. Will you come back tomorrow or the next day to see how the princess is getting along? As she spoke, I thought of the wild water birds caught motionless in that split second of alarm before they take flight. Her instinctive fear of that strange, misshapen figure, which is myself, had been overcome by her deep concern for the injured bird. But when all looked well again, the child was caught once more by the sudden and full import of where she was, and in panic had fled from my side. Princess wasn't badly hurt, and by midwinter was limping about the enclosure with the wild, pink-footed geese. Frith came often to see her, and as her devotion to the bird grew, her fear of me disappeared completely. One June morning, a group of late pinkfeet answered the siren song of the breeding grounds and rose lazily into the sky in ever-widening circles. With them, her white body and black-tipped pinions Shining in the spring sun was the snow goose. Look, the princess. Is she going away? Yes, the princess is going home. Look, Frith. She is bidding us farewell. Well, I think I'd best be going home, too. Goodbye, sir. No need for you to hurry, child. Sit and talk a bit. No, sir. Thank you very much. I think I'd best be going home. Goodbye, Frith. I learned all over again the meaning of the word loneliness. That summer, from memory, 
I painted a picture of a slender child, her fair hair blown by a November storm, who bore in her arms a wounded white bird. In mid-October, a miracle occurred. I was in my enclosure feeding the birds. A gray northeast wind was blowing and the land was sighing beneath the incoming tide. Above the wind and sea, I heard a clear high note. I turned my eyes upward to the evening sky, barely in time to see a dream of black and white beauty come to earth in the pen and come waddling forward importantly as though she had never been away. There was no mistaking her. It was the snow goose. I did not even wait to think where she might have been, but rushed to sail my little boat as fast as wind and wave would take me into Chelmbury and left a message with the postmistress. Good evening, Mr. Ryder. It's months since I've seen you. Yes, I have been away for some time. Would you mind delivering a message for me? Of course, I'll be glad to. Tell Frith, who lives with the fisher folk at Wickeldroth, that the lost princess has returned. Tell who? What? You know the little girl, Frith. Of course. Just tell her that the lost princess has returned. She'll understand. Oh. That winter started the parade of years, the happiest I have ever known. Time was marked by the height of the tides, the passage of the birds, and for Frith and me by the arrival and departure of the snow goose. The world was now boiling and seething and rumbling with the eruption that was soon to break forth. But it had not yet touched upon either Frith or myself. I taught her the law of every wild bird that flew the marshes. She cooked for me sometimes and even learned to mix my paints. But every time the snow goose left us to return to its summer home, the barrier was again thrown up between us, and Frith would no longer come to the lighthouse. One year, the bird did not return at all, and life seemed to have ended for me. But the following autumn, the familiar cry rang once more from above, and the huge white bird came out of the skies as mysteriously as it had departed. more than a month, however, before Frith reappeared at the lighthouse. When I saw her, I realized with a shock that she was a child no longer. She had grown tall, slender, and hauntingly beautiful. As I looked at her, I felt the deep surge of my longing, my loneliness, and all the unspoken things that lay between us. We stood together in that spring of 1940. The world was on fire. The whine and roar of the bombers and the thudding explosions had frightened the birds. The first day of May, we watched the last of them rise from their sanctuary. Look, Philip. The princess is going with them. The call is strong, Frith. Almost impossible to resist. But somehow she doesn't seem as sure as usual. See how she's circling close to us. I wish she'd stay. You wouldn't be so alone if she were always here. The call is strong, Frith. For both you and the princess. When she flies away... I lose both of you. I mustn't stay. I have to go. Look up, Frith. The princess. Oh, Philip, she's not going. She's circling nearer and nearer. She's coming back. The princess is going to come back. Yes, she is coming back. And this time to stay, always. The lost princess is lost no more. This is her home now. Of her own free will. Of her own free will. Of her own free will. Yes, my dearest. Don't go, Frith. We need you, the princess and I. Oh, Philip, no. No, I cannot. I must go. I'm glad the princess is going to stay. You will not be so alone now. Goodbye. Goodbye, Philip. Goodbye, Frith. At first, I had been afraid of Philip Ryder because I had heard such strange tales before I ever saw him. I will never forget the day that I walked along the sea wall with the wounded snow goose in my arms and stopped frightened at sight of the dark figure that appeared at the door. I saw a man, 
a hunchback with his left arm crippled and thin and bent at the wrist like the claw of a bird. But when he spoke, his voice was deep and gentle. And my fears vanished when I found that he loved very greatly man and all nature. He did not know how to hate. His heart was filled with understanding. He had been driven into seclusion by his failure to find anywhere a return of the warmth that flowed from him. It was some months later when Philip and I sailed back to the lighthouse after getting supplies in town. It was amazing to watch him handle his fast 16-foot sailing boat with his strong right hand on the tiller and in a brisk wind the rope clenched between his teeth. As we disembarked, I noticed that Philip was strangely quiet. What is it, Philip? It's nothing, child. It's the war, isn't it? It's that you feel you cannot do anything. That you cannot serve with your fellow men fighting for a land that you love very deeply. Isn't that it? There are some things Providence never intended me to do. That Providence which is handicapped will show you what to do. If it doesn't, there is no God. Oh, never say that, Frith. If there were no God, there would not be anywhere the beauty that is all around us now. I was very young, but an age-old instinct told me that here was a man whose heart was breaking because he could not serve in an angry world. I left him sadly, and it was more than three weeks later before I returned to give him the news that was on every tongue of a British army trapped on the sands of Dunkirk, a hundred miles across the sea. A British army huddled helplessly, awaiting certain destruction. I could see the light of Philip's lantern down by his little wharf, and as I approached, I saw that he was loading supplies into his sailboat, water and food, bottles of brandy and a spare sail. He was pale, but his dark eyes were glowing with excitement. I knew at once that he had heard the call for help and that here at last was something he could do. Hello, Frith. Philip, are you going away? Frith, I am glad you came. Yes, I must go away. I must go away now. It's only a little trip. I'll come back. Where must you go? Dunkirk. Dunkirk? In such a small boat, Philip? Yes, I know. But our government has called any kind of craft that floats to head across the sea and haul our men off the beaches. But, Philip, you can't carry more than six men. And for a hundred miles each way, it's impossible. They don't need to be taken far. Only to the transports and destroyers that can't reach the shallows. I can make many trips of that distance with six or even seven men at a time. Philip, I know how much you want to go, but I'm so afraid. In that little boat, you'll never come back, Philip. You'll never come back. Please don't go. Frith, listen to me. Men are huddled on the beaches like hunted birds. Over them fly the steel peregrines, hawks and falcons made of steel, Frith. And each one brimful of destruction. Our men have no shelter from these iron birds of prey. They are lost and storm-driven and harried. Like the lost princess you found and brought out of the marshes many years ago. They need help, my dear. Just as our wild creatures have needed help. Don't you see, Frith? It's as you said. Providence has shown me the way to serve. I stared at Philip. I couldn't believe the change in him. For the first time, he was no longer ugly or misshapen, but very beautiful. I will come with you, Philip. No, Frith. Your place in the boat would cause a soldier to be left behind and another and another. No, I must go alone. Will you look after the birds until I return? Godspeed you. I will take care of the birds. Godspeed, Philip. Goodbye, Frith. God bless you. Goodbye. I stood on the seawall and watched the sail gliding down the swollen estuary. Suddenly, from the darkness behind me, there came a rush of wings, and something swept past me in the air. In the night light, I saw the thrust forward head of the snow goose flashing down the winding creek where Philip's sail was slanting in the gaining breeze to fly above him in slow, wide circles. Watch over him. Watch over him. I tell you, it was a goose. Jockey, you seen it, same as me. Go on, I don't believe it. God's truth. Oh, I'd never be sitting here drinking this glass of beer if it wasn't for that bird a and him that was with it. Him? Who are you talking about? Tell him what happened, Alf. Well, it come flying down out of the muck and stinking smoke of Dunkirk that was overhead. It was white, with black on its wings, and it circles us like a blooming dive bomber. And while we're looking up at it, round the bend comes as pretty a little sailboat as you ever saw. 
The bloke selling her looks like he's out on a pleasure spin on a Sunday afternoon. There he sits in the stern sheets, holding the rope in his teeth. His teeth? Yes, with his good hand on the tiller and the crooked one waving to us to come. We're done for. It's the angel of death come for us. Yeah, and it's a ruddy goose come over from home with a message from Churchill. And now we enjoying the blooming bathing. I can take seven at a time. Come along, you men. Listen to him there, a blooming angel of mercy. Don't talk, Rod. Come on, get in your feet and let's go. All right, lads. Now, one at a time. Here, over the side. That's better. We thought it was the angel of death herself when we saw that goose. What's she doing here? Oh, that's the princess. She lives with me. She sticks to you like she'd known you for a lifetime. She very nearly has. She was lost once. She knows how it feels. Well, he brought us out all right, and then we watched him make trips all afternoon and all night too. <laughs> he was still going when we left, and he, he waved us goodbye, the bird with him. <laughs> A darn good man he was. Another half pint, please, miss. Half a mile, Tommy. I'll get it. That's a good yarn, mate. I can tell you the end of it. Yes? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. I was in that show, too. Our tugboat was on its third trip back, loaded down with soldiers, when our skipper sees a derelict boat off the starboard bow. We goes off course to have a look, and we finds this here goose sitting on the gunwale, guarding a man's dead body in the bottom of the boat. Struth. Hunchback he was. Just then there's a shout from the bridge and not 30 feet off the port beam is floating the biggest, juiciest mine you've ever looked at. Now, if we'd kept on our course, we'd have piled right into it. Well, we blew up the mine with rifle fire and when we looked back, the derelict was gone. The explosion knocked her off and the chap with her. But that bird, well, it got up, circled three times like a plane saluting and took off. Queer it was. Give us all a turn. Lucky thing for us, we went over to have a look, eh? Yes, lads. It was lucky you saw her. But that wasn't just a goose. That was the snow goose flying straight to the lighthouse, to Frith, standing on the seawall, waiting. 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 Yes, waiting. But I knew that he was never coming back. I had stayed and roamed alone on the great marsh. I had found the picture that Philip had painted of me when I was still a child with an injured bird in my arms. Through the canvas I could see his love shining like a pure white light. And so that sunset, when I heard the high-pitched, well-remembered note in the heavens, it brought no instant of false hope to me. As my eyes lifted to the sky from whose flaming arches plummeted the lost princess, the sight broke the dam within me and released the surging, overwhelming truth of my love. Wild spirit called to wild spirit, and I seemed to be flying with that great bird, soaring with it in the evening sky and hearkening to Philip's message. Frith, Frith, my love, my love. I love you, Philip. I love you. Godspeed. Goodbye, Philip. Godspeed. Remember, Frith, as the snow goose needed help, so all the world needs help. It was you who gave me faith until Providence showed me the way to serve. Keep faith, my darling. Keep faith forever. Goodbye, my Frith. Goodbye.
That's so kind. That's so kind. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm having a good day. It's marvellous. Yes. So next up is a poem. And this poem is another poem, just one, from the world of Christopher Robin. Yes. And this one is called Pinkle Purr. Here we go. Tattoo was the mother of Pinkle Purr, a little black nothing of feet and fur. And by and by, when his eyes came through, he saw his mother, the big tattoo. And all that he learned, he learned from her. I'll ask my mother, says Pinkle Purr. Tattoo was the mother of Pinkle Purr, a ridiculous kitten with silky fur. And a little black Pinkle grew and grew till he got as big as the big tattoo. And all the things he did, he did with her. Two friends together, says Pinkle Purr. Tattoo was the mother of Pinkle Purr, an adventurous cat in a coat of fur. And whenever he thought of a thing to do, he didn't much bother about tattoo, for he knows it's nothing to do with her. So see you later, says Pinkle Purr. Tattoo is the mother of Pinkle Purr, an enormous leopard with a coat Coal-back fur, a little brown kitten that's nearly new is now playing games with its big tattoo. And Pink looks lazily down at her. Dear little tat, says Pinkle Purr. That was nice. I thought so. I hope you liked it too. And I'll read lots more of that as we go along and the days go by. But another story. Yes, and this one is about two kids and a mum and dad, and a giant, and a witch called Badjale. Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a little boy and girl. Their names were Tim and Rose. Tim was six years old, and Rose was five. Tim had black hair and blue eyes. Rose had red hair that hung down to her waist. Tickle, tickle, tickle. And green eyes like the sea. They lived with their mummy and daddy in a big log cabin made from trees with a yellow straw roof and little birds made nests for their eggs in it. Egg, egg, egg. Their daddy was a fisherman and he caught fish in a big lake near the house. Their mummy used to bake lovely fresh bread for them, and in the evenings, by the fire, she would play the trombone for them. They had a fluffy cat called Fluffy Bum, (laughs) and a white puppy dog called Pom Pom, who was very clever and could play the piano with his tail. Every morning, Tim and Rose used to go to Lucy their cow to get some milk for their breakfast. But when they got to the shed where Lucy lived, the door was opened and Lucy was gone. So the children ran to the field where Lucy used to eat the grass and they shouted, Lucy! Lucy! Where are you? But there was no sound of Lucy anywhere. Look, Rose, said Tim, and he pointed to the ground where they could see Lucy's hoof marks in the mud. Let's follow them and see where she's gone, said Rose. They started to follow the hoof marks. They walked and walked, walked and walked and walked and walked. Are you getting tired, said Tim. Only my legs, said Rose. After a long while, the children came to a big forest with very big trees. Some as tall as a church, and some as thick as their teacher's legs at school. (laughs) There was still no sign of Lucy the cow. It's getting very dark at night time, said Rose. We'd better go home, or Mummy and Daddy will be worried about us. No, said Tim. We must find Lucy first, or she might get lost forever, and we would never have milk on our eggs again. So on they went into the great black forest, but it got so dark they couldn't see where to go. 
Are you frightened, said Rose? Only a, only a little bit, said Tim. Oh, I feel so sleepy, said Rose. So do I, said Tim. You better find someone to sleep soon. Just then, a little voice said, You can come and sleep in my tree. Oh, the children looked around but couldn't see anyone. Who said that, Tim said. I did, said a little voice. The children looked down and there, standing in a little door at the bottom of a tree, was a teeny weeny man, as tiny as a matchstick. And he was wearing a buttercup yellow jacket, black trousers with pink spots, and red shiny shoes with gold buckles, and a white pointed hat with a sausage shown on the front. And with him was a green grasshopper, which the little man had on a dog's lead. Good heavens, who are you, said the children. My name is Pinklebonk, he said. I'm a tree goblin. I live in this tree, and this grasshopper is my guard dog, and his name is Silly Sausage. Then Silly Sausage, the grasshopper dog, went, Woof! Meow! Quick! Woof! What a funny grasshopper, said Tim. He wanted making a funny noise. Yes, said Binklebonk. That's why I call him Silly Sausage. Oh, what's that? Then they heard strange noises coming from the dark forest. Quick! Quick! Good heavens, what was that, said the children. Oh, that's... That's a tin lion, said Binklebonk. Well, why did he go squeak, said Tim. Oh, he gets rusty from sleeping in the rain. Oh, you'd better come inside before he comes. We're too big to get into that tiny door, said the children. Oh, don't worry about that, said Binklebonk. I can make the tree grow bigger. You can't, said the children. Ah, yes, I can, said Binklebonk. Watch me. He took his finger and he pressed a button on his suit and sang this song. Tree, tree, one, two, three, please go very big for me. And like magic, the tree got bigger and bigger and bigger. Woo, until the door was big enough for them all to get in. Follow me, said Binklebonk, and they all ran inside and locked the door. They followed Binklebonk up a round and round and round staircase. And all the way up, there were fireflies and glowworms lighting the darkness. When they got to the top, there were two lovely little children's bedrooms. A white one with red roses for Rose and a lemon one with brown teddy bears for Tim. Now, keep your windows shut tonight, said Binklebonk, because there are some trouser robbers in the woods. Trouser robbers, said the children. Yes, they might rob Tim's trousers. And in the morning, poor Tim would have to go without his trousers, just his bare bottom. And a chicken might peck it and make him jump up in the air. (laughs) Sleep tight, children, said Binklebonk. Before they went to bed, Binklebonk gave them a real goblin supper. Some nuts, honey, and some real beautiful sweet dandelion tea. And before they went to sleep, the children asked Binklebonk if they had seen Lucy the cow go by the tree. Well, a black and white cow did go by here this morning. Rose said, was he wearing a hat? Oh, yes, she was wearing a straw hat. Hooray, said the children. That's our Lucy. So the children went to sleep very, very happy because they knew that their milk was still alive. Good night, Tim, said Rose. Good night, Rose, said Tim. (sighs) During the night, there was a terrible thunderstorm with fork lightning, knife lightning and spoon lightning. What a funny storm, said Tim. Outside, the rain was pouring onto the trees... Lots of birds' nests got full of water and all the baby birdies were standing on the side and diving in like a swimming pool. (laughs) Splash! All the time, the poor old tin lion was saying, Oh dear, all this rain is making me rusty. Roar, roar, squeak, squeak, roar, roar, squeak. Ah, 
Next morning, the rain stopped, and the sun came up and said, Come on, time to get up, everybody. I'm going to be very good today. I promise I will shine all day, and I won't hide behind any clouds. Binklebonk came in and gave the children a cup of fresh grasshopper's milk, some honey and fairy cakes. And when they were dressed, the children said, Goodbye, Binklebonk. Goodbye. And off they went to find Lucy the cow. Be very careful in forests, said a little robin redbreast, because there wicked witch in there, her name, Bad Jelly. She catches little children and turns them into sausage and eat them up. Sometimes she chops children up and make boy-girl soup. Oh dear, said the children. On and on they went, on and on, until they came to a big river with water rushing over ragged rocks. The children didn't know how to get across, so they sat down to think how to do it. Oh, oh, mind where you're sitting, you silly boy, said a voice from underneath Tim's bottom. It was a little worm. You big silly. You nearly squashed me flat like a shoelace. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Worm, said Tim. What's your name? The worm came right out of the ground. And he was wearing a long, thin shirt with the drawings of red noses and overdrafts on it. My name is Mudwiggle, said the worm. Oh, Mr. Wiggle, did you see a cow wearing a straw hat yesterday? Yeah, said Mudwiggle. She trod on my tail, so I kung-fooed her into the river. Ho, ha, ho, 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 moo, she went. Oh, you must be very strong, said Tim. Oh, my strong, the strongest worm in all the world. Do you know why? Because, dum da 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 dum I eat mud. Lots of mud. The worm told the children that Lucy had swum across the river the other day and he'd help her to get a hat out of the water. Oh, good. Can you help us get across, said Rose. Well, all right, then, said Mudwiggle. I'll just put my swimming costume and overcoat on because the water might be cold. When he did that, he got into the river. First, I'll take Rose, right? Get in the river, Rose, and hold my tail. Come on, then, what are you waiting for? Well, I... <laughs> Which end, is, which end is your tail, said Rose. Oh, dear, said Mudwiggle. I'll wear my hat so you know which end is which. So he put on a big red top hat with a piece of cheese on top. That's in case I meet any hungry mice, said Mudwiggle, who's also a boy scout. Rose got hold of his tail, and the funny worm dived in and swam across. And then he came back for Tim. But when they were halfway across, a huge, giant killer shark saw Tim's legs swimming in the water. So he thought, I'll eat him up. Look out, said Rose. Shark, shark. The shark was just going to bite Tim when wallop, bonk, thud. Mudwiggle hit the horrible shark right on the nose. Boom. Oh, my nose. Oh, my nose. My poor old shark's nose, said the shark. This is going to ruin the act. So he swam away to the shark's nose hospital. Goodbye, children, said Mudwiggle, and swam away. The sun was shining very hot. And soon the children's clothes were all nice and dry. Then they saw an apple tree, so they plucked two big juicy red apples. <laughs> oh, my apples, oh, my apples, said the tree. I've never heard an apple tree talk before, said Rhoda. I'm not, a, I'm not an apple tree. I, I'm really a policeman. But I was turned into an apple tree by the witch called Bad Jelly. <laughs> I want to go back to my police station and my whistle and my jam sandwich, he said. The children said, oh, we are so sorry to hear this. We can't help you because we can't do magic. But if we see another policeman, we'll tell him that you're here and to bring you your whistle and your jam sandwich. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, said the policeman. The children went on walking until they came to a big mountain. But it had a big white beard on. <laughs> What a silly mountain, said the children. Why has it got a beard on? A little mouse popped his head out of a hole in the ground. He's got a beard because he's lost his razor, said the mouse. Well, we've never heard of a mountain with a beard, said Tim. He's very old, that's why. <laughs> and I'm not really a mouse, you see. I've been turned into a mouse by Bad Jelly, the terrible witch. Poor little furry mouse, thought Rose. What's your name, said Tim. My name, said the mouse. He's Dingle Mouse. Well, what were you before the witch turned you into a mouse, said the rose. I was a banana, said Dingle Mouse, so be careful. If you see her, you run away from her. Remember her name, Bad Jelly. The children said they would remember her name and they would hide if they saw her. 
Well, we must go and look for Lucy the cow now, said the children. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I come with you, said Dingle Mouse, and be your friend? I got a good singing voice. Just listen to this. Fiddle diddle dee. I'm a little flea. I ran up Daddy's trouser legs and I bit him on a knee. <laughs> the children liked his singing and said, All right, you can come with us and look for Lucy. Tim picked up Dingle Mouse and put him in his trouser pocket. I like traveling this way, said the mouse. It's very dark in here, said Dingle Mouse. Where's the light switch? Rose and Tim laughed. You silly mouse. You don't have a light switch in little boy's trouser pockets. How did I know that? I never traveled by trouser pocket. So now they all set off to find Lucy. They were climbing up and up a big mountain, and it was getting very cold, and it started to snow. Oh, I'm freezing cold, said Rose. I'm shivering too, said Tim. Just then, a voice behind them said, Hello, children. Can I help you? Tim turned round and saw an old woman dressed in black. Don't be frightened, she said. I can make you nice and warm in a few seconds. Just get inside this nice sack and you'll be nice and warm. Oh, thank you, old woman, said Tim. We were nearly freezing to death. As soon as the children got into the sack, the old woman screamed. the sack up tight. <laughs> I'm going to eat you all up because I'm bad, Jelly, the baddest witch in all the world. <laughs> she put the sack on her back, jumped onto a broomstick, and flew up, 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 up into the sky. <laughs> Someone please help us, Sergeant. No one could hear him because they were very high in the sky. <laughs> The witch took the children to her castle on top of the mountain. It was made of iron. Ow, my head. And only the witch had the key to get in. At the gate was a huge, horridable monster. His body was red and sticky. It had giant eyes as big as windows and sharp yellow teeth like needles. And its tongue was made of fire. And all its spit turned to steam. It went. When bad jelly ever ate children, she used to put them on the monster's fire tongue to cook them. The witch opened the door. Inside was her servant, a giant called Dullboot. He was as big as a house, he had purple hair and ten eyes all round his head so he could see if he had pimples on his back. Bad Jelly told the giant to take the sack with the children in it. <laughs> put them into a dark room right at the top of the prison. And don't let them out of the sack. I'm going to eat them when the sun comes up in the morning with peanut butter. <laughs> All right, said the giant. He carried the sack up thousands of steps. He opened the door and he threw the sack with the children in on the cold stone floor and locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tim and Rose were crying. Then out of Tim's pocket popped Dingle Mouse. Don't cry! Don't cry, children. I got sharp teeth. Watch this. And he started to nibble and nibble, and he made a hole big enough for them to get out of the sack. Poor Rose was crying. We'll never see our mother or daddy again. Tomorrow the witch will eat us all up with peanut butter. The sun was going down, and the room was getting very dark. Dingle Mouse suddenly cried, I got an idea, you got an idea, I got an idea. I know a big strong eagle called Jim, he's my friend and he owes me money. I'll go and try and get him. Dingle Mouse jumped up on the ledge and climbed the ivy on the outside of the tower all the way down to the ground. Please hurry, hurry, the witch is going to kill us in the morning. Said the children. So Dingle Mouse ran as fast as he could. He ran so fast, his tail caught fire, and he had to sit in a bucket of cold water to put it out. Oh, that's 
night was so sad. Back at the children's home, their mummy was crying. Oh, my poor children, my poor children, where are they? The daddy said, I'd look everywhere, dear. I think some terrible animal in the forest must have eaten them. Mother cried, I'll never be able to play the trombone to them again, she said. By now, Dingle Mouse had reached the tree where Jim the giant eagle was asleep. An eagle. Jim! Jim, wake up! Jim, wake up! Jim, yep a dub doo Jim was a beautiful eagle with brown feathers on his body, white feathers on his head, and a big yellow beak and blue eyes, and he was nearly as strong as God. Hurry up, Jim! The witch is gonna eat the children when the sun comes up with peanut butter! So Jim the eagle quickly took off his pajamas. Eagle Mouse jumped on Jim's back, and away they flew. Faster, Jim, faster! The sun will soon be coming up. Hurry, hurry, hurry! <laughs> back in the prison room, the children were looking out the window. Can you see anyone coming to save us, Jim? Said Rose. No, no, I can't, said Jim. Oh, look, said Rose, the sun is starting to come up. Listen, I can hear the witch coming up the stairs. <laughs> I'm coming to get you, screamed the witch. They could see her through the keyhole, and she had a big sharp knife. <laughs> but wait, look, said Rose, out the window. It's Jim the Eagle. Jim the Eagle is coming. The witch was starting to open the door. Now Jim the Eagle flew up to the window. Quick, children, get on my back, hurry! But the witch was opening the door. The children were getting on Jim's back. Stop them! screamed the witch. Ah, stop them! But the children were on the mighty eagle's back, and away they flew, away from the terrible witch. And she was so angry, she screamed, Stinky poo! Stinky poo! Knickers, knickers, knickers! Then she jumped on her fastest broomstick and started to chase after the children. And she took a magic powder to throw on the children and turn them into Chinaman's legs. Jim the eagle flew up and up and he hid inside a cloud. And the witch flew round and round. Round and round the cloud she flew, waiting for Jim and the children to come out. Just then God came along. And when he saw what the wicked witch was going to do to Tim and Rose, he told the witch, go away. No, I won't! I won't, said the witch, and tried to scratch God's eyes out. So God pointed his finger at the witch and... <laughs> the witch had burst like a bomb and disappeared in smoke, and her broomstick turned into a sky snake that flew up to the moon. When Jim the Eagle saw that Bad Jelly was dead, he flew the children back to the witch's castle to look for Lucy. Lucy! Lucy! There she is, said Rose. And there, chained to the wall, was poor Lucy. Quickly, Jim flew down next to her. And she was so pleased to see the children, she licked them on their faces. <laughs> and she went, Moo! <laughs> Jim the eagle broke her chain with his beak. <laughs> but then the back door of the castle opened, and out came Dalboot, the giant. Get away from that cow. It belongs to me. She's my dinner, he said. And he drew out his sword and he tried to chop the children's heads off. But Jim grabbed the giant by his hair. Ooh! While Dinglemush jumped on the giant, nibbled his belt, and down came the giant's trousers. Oh, help, said the giant. I'm showing my bare bottom. And he ran away to bare bottom land. Now we're all safe, said Tim. Hooray, said everybody. Yes, thanks to Dingle Mouse and Jim, said Rose, and she gave them both a beautiful big kiss. <laughs> then Jim got the children and Dingle Mouse on his back. He grabbed Lucy's horns in his strong claws and he flew up, up, and flew them all the way back to their home. But when their mummy and daddy saw them fly down on the back of a giant eagle with Lucy hanging underneath, they got frightened and they ran inside the house and hid. Don't be frightened, mummy and daddy, said Tim and Rose. He's only an eagle. Oh, no, no, we're frightened. We're frightened to come out of that giant eagle. He'll kill us. No, no, he won't, said Rose and Tim. He's friendly. He's kind. He'll help you. All right, then, if you say so. Down flew, down they flew and landed. 
don't be frightened, Mummy and Daddy. Jim is a kind eagle and he saved our lives, said Tim and Rose as they landed. And up popped Dingle Mouse. Oh, so did I help save their lives too, he said. So Mummy and Daddy came out with a big bag of jelly babies and cream cakes and they gave them to Jim and Dingle Mouse and they all played Ring of Roses and then they blindfolded Lucy and played Blind Cow's Buck and they lived happily ever after. Good night, children. And I'm still not quite sure what egg milk on your eggs would taste like. Yes. Hmm. Something to think about. Right. That's been fantastic. It's been a couple of long stories, a little poem. Remember, this is Kidnappers Kids on Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawkesbury. I'm your pal Dexter. We have one little song left, and then it's cheerio. Bye bye for now. This one is called The Grand Old. Duke of York. Let's go marching with him. Until I see you next time, and don't forget, be kind to one another. Ta-da! show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.